so I feel like we have we know it's coming for sure. Like if you got a if you got your mortgage in 2018 at I don't know two and a half percent, and you're renewing in 2023 on your five year fixed, we're going to see that happen for sure. Mm-hmm. So. I haven't had those exact conversations, but I'm sensing as I'm reading people that there's some people that are like, my renewal comes up in April. I better sell this thing. Welcome to the Tom Story Show with Steve Karish and Tom Story, where we discuss everything real estate or whatever else is on our minds. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Tom Story Show. I'm really excited to announce just in a second who our guest is for this week. It's someone that I know personally and have learned a lot from in the industry, and we're really excited to have him here. Just before I introduce our guest, uh, if you haven't already and you've been watching our podcast on YouTube, make sure to subscribe. Join the growing community. Our goal is still to get us to about 2,000 subscribers by April 1st. That is the deadline that we have set. And if you're listening on the audio platforms, me and Steve just want to say thank you. And if you have any time when you're not driving because you're probably driving right now if you could rate us on apple Podcasts, we would very much appreciate that as we go into today's guest chris kelleher is with us chris kelleher runs one of the you know most successful teams in all of canada for royal page he works primarily out of the collingwood and surrounding areas markets and got into real estate i'd say maybe a little bit later in life than me and steve and i want to talk about that journey chris welcome to the show Thank you for having me, guys. I'm excited to uh, to get into it, to dig into things with you here. So. Let me jump in here. And, and Where's calling you? Thank you. The, thank you. <laughs> and thank you for the very kind uh, and flattering intro there. Well, I read it just off exactly what you told me to say. That's what happened. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, guys, I don't know this. I'm I'm from the wrong coast here. Where is Where's Collingwood? Where Where are you at? I'm uh, out in Surrey, BC. Okay, so we're like the Whistler of Toronto. So we're two hours north. When I say, you know, we have, it's called Blue Mountain. It's a ski town. Okay. But you you would hate that we say mountain. I'm certain. If I, oh, yeah? If I know other West Coasters and how they feel about that. But we have, we have I drove I drove through um, Hamilton once and they were like, there's a mountain in Hamilton. I'm like, do you mean that little hill on the <laughs> side of the highway? Is that what the mountain is? So that's actually the same escarpment that we ski on. Uh, so oh, okay. escarpment goes from, from Niagara to Owen Sound, I guess. Uh, maybe all the way up to uh, Tobermory. Um, so yeah, we have we have you know a, a very different ski community. It's more social, kids learning. But we do actually turn out some of the toughest uh, snowboarders from here because when you f- uh, snowboard and fall on ice for your childhood, when you go out west, it's like just falling on pillows. So we get we we turn out really tough, uh, you know, half pipers. Um, what what's the uh, so what's the market? Is it rural or resort then? So we're kind of both. So like we work in a, a kind of a unique area because there's two counties and six municipalities. I live in Collingwood, but Blue Mountain is you know four minutes from me. Um, so Collingwood is just three kilometers by three kilometers. So we have the city, and then we have the waterfronts, and then we have the chalets, and then we have the rural farms, um, and then Creemore, which you probably heard Creemore out there, Creemore Brewery, like the beer, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So that town. So there's yes. Yeah, so we kind of do all of it, um, and and commercial as well. So we we mix it up. Now, primarily you're in Collingwood, but it, what's the areas you service? So it's like Collingwood, Blue Mountain. Is it like Meaford, Thornbury? Is it all the areas? Yeah. So in a we call it Southern Georgian Bay, um, and the core of it is Collingwood, Blue Mountain, like the Blue Mountain Resort area, but. 
Blue, the Blue Mountain Resort is in the town of the Blue Mountains. And the town of the Blue Mountains has Thornbury and Meaford. Uh, and that's sort of the west side of our market. Uh, and then we will service down into Clearview, which is where Creemore is. And then a little bit into Wasaga. But Wasaga's like 45 minutes wide. So we're 15 minutes to Wasaga. So we don't want to be on the other side of Wasaga and doing like an hour drive. Right. And so is all. So you got three boys. Um, yep. Are they all avid skiers now because of where you are living? They are all avid skiers um, because of where we are and because they're not good at hockey. Um, <laughs> although my, my, my six-year-old is very likely going to be uh, a good hockey player. Um, but yeah, they're all super skiers. You know, they did the race program. They were never super into racing in terms of competition. You know, where did you finish in the race? They're like, I don't know that. I just did the turns and whistled and... So uh, my eldest is out of racing this year and my middle guy is doing like bumps and jumps. So he's, you know, twin tip skis and rail slides and stuff. And then my six-year-old has just started the full pre-race program. So every Saturday, Sunday, he goes to a program all day and uh, skis with his friends. So I had always been told that you have two choices when you're, you have kids growing up. You, you're a skiing family or you're a hockey family. And yes. that the skiing family is maybe a better lifestyle for the parents because you're not standing in freezing cold hockey arenas. You sound like you've got like a little bit of both. Yes. We had a little bit of both. I mean, so I grew up playing hockey and I thought if I have three boys, they're going to play hockey. And my first guy told me from the start, I don't like hockey, dad, but I did the thing. I coached his team. He was terrible. So we don't want to even do it. And then my second guy was interested in hockey, but not good at it. So it was just too much because when I grew up in Mississauga, we had, you know, 12 teams all within five to 20 minutes of our house. So the whole league was really close, but now we get to drive to Orangeville, Shelburne, Barrie. So when it's an hour to your game, an hour before the game, an hour at the game, an hour, and you're not even yeah. with your kid, right? Your kids, yeah. right? So it was, it's just, it's just a lot up here. Even for house league, you got to do that because there's, there's not enough teams in Collingwood. So, uh, so we chose, we chose skiing cause we can all do it together. Yeah. Um, and then we'll see what happens with hockey with the little guy. If he's really good at it, then we'll figure that out. Steve, I've never asked you this. Did you play hockey growing up? Mm-mm. No, you were no, just man. mixed martial arts from six years old. I that- uh, didn't do that either. Poor kid, man. We, uh, we played roller hockey in the, in the neighborhood in the tennis courts. That was it. We don't have the same, uh, I mean, it, it does to some degree, but we don't have the same hockey culture that most of Canada does here, right? Because it never gets cold. There's no such thing as a backyard uh, ice rink pond here, right? right. This is, yeah. that, that doesn't happen, right? All we do is, uh, I mean, usually it was the kids though with with more money, right? Okay. That, that played. So we we were not in that group. So I uh, I was pretty good at video games when I was younger. Let's put it that way. Oh, see, we didn't have video games when I was young growing up, um, but uh, just because they didn't exist. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm, I'm Steve. I'm 47, by the way, so I know I look youthful and handsome, but I'm actually much older than you guys. I think stories. You're not that much older than me, man. We we call uh, it undercover old, is what we call. All it. right, enough enough about the Tom Story show. Uh, how to raise your children playing hockey? Let's get into this market. What's going on? How has the let's call it? I'm going to call it rural. Maybe it's not, but how has the the resort uh, market, the outside of Toronto market, fared? What's going on? Well, we're kind of unique. We're not just sort of the outskirts. We're so far north. It's just it's vacation homes and stuff like that. And it's people living the, the, the lifestyle, the West Coast lifestyle. We're, we're kind of filled with anyone that went, went out West for school or something like that. When they come back to Ontario, they need to live in Collingwood because it has that West Coast feel. 
Um, but yeah, the, the, we're directly linked to, to Tom's market in terms of, you know, so many of our buyers come from there, they're weekenders, they're moving from there. So we kind of flow two months behind what they're doing. Um, but we've had a huge spike in pricing. You know, the average sale price pre-pandemic was 650. Now we're closer to a million. Uh, it's become a little bit less affordable for people. Um, we've had it open up into, you know, $2 million sale was a really big deal. So if you had a $2 million house, it might be harder to sell. It might take you six, eight, 12 months. Um, and now that's, that ceiling is kind of like four or 5 million. Wow. Uh, you know, so it, it's kind of like in Muskoka, if you like say something's listed for 10 million, then people go, oh, that seems fine. But Collingwood didn't have that uh, sort of consumer confidence uh, buyer confidence up there. So the pandemic sort of gave that. So, you know, house is listed for 4 million, it's listed for five days, sells for 4.2. So we, we have a different, I think, perception, buyer perception of our market. So that's the biggest shift we've had. And then the attainability. So our, our town is very filled with, so we, we run the rural Ontario medical program out of our hospital, which brings young doctors up north because of course, every doctor wants to work at St. Mike's in Toronto. Right, so it spreads people into the rural communities. This, this, uh, the romp program, um, and so we have a lot of young doctors. We have tons of schools in our area. Um, so I think we have like nine elementary schools in Collingwood uh, alone, and uh, and then we have a ton of engineering offices. So our town is filled with young professionals with high salaries that now can't afford homes. Uh, so that's become a big shift for us because people would move to Collingwood for affordability. They're like, yeah, I'll go work in the Crozier an associate's office, uh, you know, the engineering office in Collingwood because it's way cheaper up there. Um, and that engineering firm actually has a program for their employees to help get them a down payment to buy a house now. Wow. Like they, they'll, they'll give a down payment to their employees uh, because it, the affordability has changed up here. So, I mean, basically what happened, like it happened with every market, is Toronto buyers came to your market and made the prices go up. That's a That's what happened, right? Yeah, that's a, that's essentially what happened. Is that the the, and, the pressure came from Toronto? Yeah, and is are they still existing today in early twenty twenty three? Are the Toronto buyers still a high percentage of the people purchasing properties up there, or is it now more localized because there's a bit more uncertainty with everything? It's actually probably even more Toronto because the locals can't afford it up here. Wow! <laughs> right? right, the locals are staying. The locals are staying put because they a lot of people in our market. It's probably the same as as, as you guys like. I think there's a high majority of people that couldn't afford to buy their house today. Yeah. 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 Tons. Right. Um, so, so the locals are staying put. There's no point in making a switch for the locals. They're glad that they got in. So I think it's predominantly Toronto people, investors, uh, it's weekenders. We've had this weird, I don't know if you guys are feeling this, we had this weird push of um, suddenly like sometime in December, everyone's like, we need to buy real estate right now. Like we sold four listings in the week of Christmas. Weird. Right. Uh -huh. Yeah. Know, so we had a lot of buyers that bought, but our listings were a bit quiet. Yeah, so you know these the the other agents had the buyers that bought, right? So yeah. why are people suddenly after seven rate hikes? Like when was the last one? December seventh ish. Yeah. Yep. Um, after seven rate hikes, they're like, you know what? Okay, we're ready to settle in. Forget about Christmas. Let's buy a piece of real estate. Um, we're usually you know from December fifteenth, January fifteenth. We usually just we do all our business planning. We go on vacation. We're like it is silent up here. Um, and then we sort of middle of January, kids go back to school. And after the week of them being in school, it's, it sort of just explodes for us, which I'm, I'm assuming the same for you guys, right, Tom? 
typically. I mean, we're hoping the listings show up this year. <laughs> like uh, we we haven't yet seen any proof of actual listings coming to the market. Are are you guys prepping a lot for the next little bit that's going to come onto the market, or is it more of a wait and see approach for sellers? Uh, we got a lot of listings coming up. But we, okay. I feel like the market is is super is interestingly super active. You know, there's a lot of clients that have come to us and we're like, why are you deciding to sell now? Like, where were you in April right. or February, right? And so people, so yeah, I mean, we're carrying probably about 20 listings right now. Okay. So our inventory is actually fine. We have uh, probably an overage of inventory. And as you guys know, when buyers have choices, they take longer. And I think they're actually less satisfied with their choices if there's too many options. Hmm. Um, I believe I did read a book about, I can't remember what that book was called, but there's something about too many options. And then when they finally decide, they compare it to what they could have got. And then they're less satisfied. Well, that's like when I watch any show on Netflix halfway through, I'm like, there's 7,000 other options. Did I make the right choice here? Like, do, am I going to commit the hour to this show or am I going to find something else to watch? Yeah. Or will I just spend an hour looking at all the previews and not watching anything and deciding yeah, but, I'll commit to one of these shows one day, but not today. Basically. Um, so right now, so so Collingwood across the board, like if I want to buy a detached house in Collingwood, what's the, what's the average sale price today? Those numbers just got put out. I would say nine hundred. Okay. Um, and do semis exist up there? Yep, semis and towns, but it's not enough to create. We do have this the data for that. If I'm being honest, I don't pay much attention to it because so when you're limited. in it, you realize it's, it's all blended together. So even as much as when people say what's the average sale price, and we say it's you know a million fifty. We know that includes the town of the mountains, which has a lot of million dollar chalets, multi-million right. dollar chalets. So it skews it, right? So we know it might be 1.4 in the town of the mountains for 2022 and then 950 in Collingwood. And we're, we're basically the same town, right? Mm. Um, so yeah, it's pulling from other areas. So it's hard to really make a, yeah. make a full estimate of it. So one thing that is new this year in where I work in the city of Toronto is we have a new vacant home tax. Oh, now. What I think is interesting is that in Steve's market, this has existed for what, three years, Steve? Three, four years? Oh, geez, man. I can't even remember. I think it was, yeah, 28. But maybe here's, maybe 2017. The, here's where I'm trying to draw the comparison. I, I believe, Steve, that your vacant home tax in BC does not impact homes in Whistler. Is that true? No. Yeah, so Which, we have two. We have the city of Vancouver vacant home tax, and then we have the British Columbia speculation tax so in Va in vancouver you actually get taxed double if it's vacant but they for many many years most of the resort areas don't get that tax because they don't want to stick a fifty thousand dollar tax on some millionaire who owns a 18 million dollar property in whistler so here's my question to chris now you work in a market that's not do too dissimilar from the where the purchasers are coming from from what whistler is you think oh. if a tax ever came into that area, that would like? Do you think there's a lot of vacant property sitting in your market? Is basically my question. Like vacant during the week, or vacant overall? Because they come every weekend, right? Less so, than six months of the year, because that's the definition in terms of Toronto right now. If it's less than six months, it's considered vacant. Oh, I mean, there's lots of homes. I don't think so. You're talking, you know, 160 days a year. 180 days a year. Yeah. So, yeah. Right. So if it's 180 days a year, um, I don't think there's, I mean, I mean, we have a lot of sellers that they look at their balance sheet and they're like, oh, wow, it costs a thousand bucks a night to have this chalet. 
because we only use it for so oh, many nights, up. right? Okay. So yeah. we would we it would it would destroy us, I think, if it, if it had to be six months. I think there's way too many people because a lot of people up here as well, they they have the chalet for the winter and then they have a cottage for the summer in a different area, right? So they don't even come in the summer. So I would say mm. there's lots of places that are vacant from when the snow melts to when it snows again. Interesting. And you guys do more like seasonal renting as well, right? Like near the ski hills, it's like you you rent for what's the season? Like what's the what's the dates on the season? Four months. So four we do months. four months is generally December fifteenth to April fifteenth. Okay. Four months, yeah. Um, December fifteenth to March fifteenth. So it, it, it's sort of you know from when it snows to uh, after March break or beyond, and you know that's that's uh, uh, the most difficult market to to be in because the prices are changing every year depending on inventory and dramatically. Right. Right. And that's so. where the rental prices go crazy too because people will pay like ridiculous prices for four months yeah. just to get near the hill, right? They would when there's no inventory, they will. And okay. then, you know, pandemic, they, they actually paid way more in the pandemic because what was happening is they weren't renting it for just weekends in the winter. So they, a place that might have went for, say, 25 grand for the season uh, would have went for 60 grand. And the, the difference is that they, but they were actually living there for the four months. So that's why it was like acceptable because they weren't just when the pandemic hit, they're like, well, it's going to move to Collingwood for the winter. Crazy. Um, and uh, so, yeah. And now, so our, the, there was like 200 uh, rentals that went on MLS for ski season this year, just so saturated. So then t tenants, the renters wait until the very last minute and see how low they can get you. Right. How about purchasing though? Like, is it, if you're in a ski resort, is it cool to purchase while skiing's going on? Cause everybody's excited about it. Or is it like a typical winter market where things are really slow? Super like as of mid January, it'll kick in. So we kind of have that like, chalet and condo sales time with people that are there because there's always a, a turnover of people that are done they've been there for 30 years or the kids don't come anymore there's people that have rented for a few years because they're ski club members which is weird you don't have that out west but we have ski club memberships like private ski clubs um <clears throat> and you know they rent for a few years they start liking the club they're okay we're ready to buy we know and then there's that turnover of people so a lot of those people buy during the season uh, then we have the excited people to come on weekends to go to Blue Mountain, which is the public ski hill that they, their friend has this condo. So they start going to open houses and they buy something spontaneously, um, which was different when those condos were two, 300 grand. Now that they're mm -hmm. five, 600 grand. They're not yeah. they're buying so spontaneously. Um, and then we have a spring market, which is a double. So now we have the regular residential sales. And on top of that, we have the people that that was their last year using their condo or chalet. They're putting on the market at the end of the ski season. So we have a pretty solid spike. We have a kind of a double spring market up here. Now, have you noticed that a lot of the talk going on right now with, you know, a pending recession that we've been hearing about for six months and the rate hikes and everything is that people think that the first type of properties that you'll start seeing to be liquidated to the market will be secondary properties for people. Have you yeah. noticed anyone up in your neighborhood, maybe listings you're bringing to the market that is like, Chris, you know, the, I had a variable on this place. My payment's up two grand a month. I'm not yeah. selling my principal residence, so let's list this thing. Let's get this done. Is that a realistic thing that's happening? Are you seeing that? So I feel like we have. We know it's coming for sure. Like if you got a, if you got your mortgage in 2018 at I don't know two and a half percent, and you're renewing in 2023 on your five year fixed, we're going to see that happen for sure. Mm -hmm. So I haven't had those exact conversations, but I have uh, met with people who are listing 
where and you know in our business you know people will say no everything's fine you'd be like those guys are getting divorced for sure for sure they're getting divorced <laughs> they're just not telling me because they don't want you to stay to the you know everybody thinks that as as agents we're gonna uh we're gonna be like oh man they're getting divorced make make a little offer right um yeah. so i'm sensing as i'm reading people that there's some people that are like my renewal comes up in april i better sell this thing i'm getting that sense and i feel like we're gonna inevitably come to it because money was so cheap because and you and I talked about this earlier this week, Tom, people don't buy a property by the list price. They buy it by the carrying cost, yep. right? So when someone's, someone will say, I have this much extra money in you know my monthly spend, I can spend two grand a month. What can we get for two grand a month? And they'll go and buy a property that will cost them two grand a month to carry. Yep. So now when that's going to cost them four grand a month to carry, uh, it's maybe breaking, breaking the bank for them. So, you know, in a way we're kind of, I don't know, I don't want to, that's a tough way to take listings when people are like, man, we got to sure. sell this. Sure. Um, but I, I kind of feel like it has to come. There's so many people that push their limits to get a weekend home for sure. You know? Yeah. yeah. That, would, so do you think that is people that were in pre pandemic and now are those people will be affected or is this only people that have bought at these really high prices with variable rate mortgages, that sort of thing? I just feel like, there's not very many people that went past February with a variable rate. I think Ontario, a lot of people go with fixed. It's just sort of, especially when you weren't, you know, you were getting it for 1.9% or 1.2%. So it was kind of pretty cheap anyways. There wasn't much of a, a delta there. So I just don't know if there's going to be a lot of people that were sitting with a variable rate. And if they were, they if they didn't lock in in February, they definitely locked in in April. Right? I, think the, banks were call, <laughs> I think the banks were calling and saying, you better lock this thing in. So I don't think we're going to see the variable rate people. I think those people have already made their moves. I think it's going to be the five-year fixed people. That are coming up on renewal. To renew, like what are, what are people renewing at right now? Five, seven, six percent? This episode of the Tom Story Show is brought to you by the Real Estate Video Course. Today's real estate industry has changed and you can no longer rely primarily on door knocking, cold calling, and geo farming. While these strategies still work, video provides something that these traditional methods just don't. And that is leads that reach out to you because of you and the message and content that you are providing. I believe that video is king and that through video, you can leverage your message create stronger relationships and become the authority on real estate in your marketplace. The real estate video course is a five part course that will teach you the fundamentals of video, including why it's so impactful, the equipment that you need to invest in to get started and the proven tips and strategies used to ensure long-term success. So go to videocourselogin.com today to become a true creator, level up your editing and production skills and develop your real estate video plan to leverage your message to current and prospective clients. That's videocourselogin.com. The link is below in the description. And don't forget to use the discount code TOMSHOW at checkout for 10% off any purchase. That's videocourselogin.com and use the checkout code TOMSHOW. That's T-O-M-S-H-O-W. But it was just like if, if the, the, the five-year fix that are going to oh, be right. renewed right. for people that have weekend homes. Yeah, I, I feel like there's got to be a lot of people that, you know, they can afford an extra two grand and they still have a two grand buffer. But if the carrying cost is now four grand, that that buffer is gone. Right. So, yeah, I wonder if so the those way are that people hang on, Tom, those are yeah. people then that have bought like 2018 
or anytime anytime before 2020 i think so i think all the people that have bought during the pandemic and heard about the interest rate hikes i think they all went fixed and those those renewals aren't coming up soon right so i think it's the 2018 buyers and i think we had some 2017 buyers in 2022 that had to renew and you know weren't getting good rates um but i'm just we're not sure the impact yet but i i have to believe it's coming so there was a like 2018 let's say there a lot of rates were like 359 to 389 those guys were qualified at 475 now here's where i think you could be correct is if they stay with their own bank they're just going to accept a new rate and that new rate might be 5.99 like my bank's trying to do to me yeah um, however if i can qualify at let's call it I don't know, seven or 8% for my loan of which may be difficult. I can yeah. still in some banks, like some banks right now are offering four, seven, nine. So whether or not they lend in a more rural spot, who knows? Um, but then you have to requalify. So the problem may not be, you know, does my payment change a ton? The problem might be, can I qualify? Because if I have to stick with my current bank, I may not be able to afford that new payment. But if I could switch to a new bank, which I may not be able to do because of the stress test. So now I'm screwed because of regulation, not because of can I actually still afford this or not. It's interesting, actually, because I thought the rates were around 2.9 in 2018. They were they were up up, up to four. In so I know this because one of my brothers moved. And they were, and I also redid my mortgage in 2018, and I was at three five nine at that point. Yep. Um, my my brother was tied into a particular mortgage that had it was one of those discount ones that tied you to it, and you couldn't necessarily get out of it. Um, and I think he ended up at three eight nine. So it was it was sub or sorry, it was above three and a half. Really? For so for that, not that, a. That could could mitigate things it, then if, if that's the case, right? It, it could be. It could very well do that. And then they came, you know, the, a lot of people don't remember that rates were going up. Like 2018, 19 wasn't necessarily a great year in a lot of places because the Fed and the states started to increase rates. And it was they were only dropped again because of March 2020. I w do you remember what? the overnight rate was before the pandemic was it 1.5 was it 2.25 2.25 2. 2. was it okay uh, we'll have to look back at that don't quote me on that okay youtube commenters in the uh, in the comments someone will let us know i am yeah, yeah someone yeah. will let us know um because the domino effect i'm thinking is like i have my own personal experience of this so i bought a secondary recreational property in the pandemic um I don't live there full time. I go there on weekends. I rent it to my friends that want. I don't charge a lot of them. They just go stay there, right? Um, but I took a fixed variable rate, which I hit my trigger rate, and my payments are now up on that specific property about $700 a month. And because of that, I've started to think, okay, fine. Maybe I'll rent it legitimately a bit more here just to cover that difference so it's back to my initial payment. So what I actually think might happen here, Chris, in your market is – the people that were in my position, maybe at higher price points as well, are going like, all right, we can still cover this, but we don't like this extra cost now that we didn't think was going to be there when we bought it. Okay, fine. We'll we'll at least rent it out now for the season or something or to cover yeah. our difference here. And I feel like that's the first domino before it gets to the, okay, fine, sell it because we just can't afford it anymore. 
Yeah, or or it could be because um, I mean most people they don't want to rent it during the season that they bought it for, right? True. Yeah. Um, so I think there could be an aspect to that that is you know they don't have to sell because they say it's it's bleeding them dry, but they're like, yeah, we don't like this payment anymore. So that would be a way better way to sell real estate to people. Like I kind of changed my mind on this carrying cost, mm. but it's good, right? Because we're going to be thirty to sixty days to sell properties for sure. It could be up to ninety days for our. I mean, we're probably like. 45 days average sale for average uh, time, days on market right now. Interesting. Does huh. that open up to then Airbnb? Is Airbnb a thing where you are? So it's it, it's because we have six municipalities, you got to think about where I trade. And this is so you can drive this area in 30, 30 minute radius of where I live. In a 30 minute radius, there's six municipalities and two counties. So there's two county governments and six municipal governments, six mayors, and all of them have different Airbnb rules. Oh. Uh. So, Fun. so the uh, so Collingwood has their rules on you. Know, you can only do it if you live in the house. You can rent a unit in your house or a room in your house. The town of Blue Mountains, they have licensable areas, so they have it all. They have a map that shows where your your, your short term accommodation, they call it STA, uh, where it can be, and when you can get a license, you have to get a license to Airbnb it. Then when you go out, Wasaga Beach doesn't allow it. Clearview doesn't allow it. And then when you go to Meaford, um, that's the, there's the glory. They've never had a problem with Airbnb, so they have no rules at all. Mm. Um, the, the problem is that our town switched from a resort town to many people living here full time. So you would have, I don't want to be moved up to their chalet, change their life. But, but when things got more and more remote, people didn't have to be in the city, right? Or they started kind of reverse potaging. I don't know if you see this in Whistler. People started going to the city Tuesday morning, uh, coming back like Thursday night or Wednesday night. So they had two full days in the city, pack all their meetings in. And then they spent five days up north instead of two days up north and five days in the city. I like so, that lifestyle. That sounds that, good to me. That's Tom's story schedule. <laughs> that's yeah. not true. <laughs> but that, that's the, the reserve, reverse cottaging thing um, that happened. And, you know, I think, you know, when more and more people started living here, what they started seeing is, well, I can't have like a stag party next door every day. You can't rent your chalet out on the weekend. Yeah. Right. So they started saying you can only have it because it's a resort town, right? So, if you're going to buy up here, you got to understand it's a resort town. People come here to have fun. They don't come here to be quiet and bird watch. So mm. there are parties. Um, there are huge groups, driveways full of cars. Like that's what it is. So they just tried to segment it. So Airbnb is possible here. Um, and in Meaford, they've just never had such an influx of Airbnb that they needed to make rules around yeah. it. It's not a problem yeah. until it is a problem. And then you make not rules about it, right? That's too bad because yeah. I know Steve's really into bird watching. So I guess we'll have to skip Collingwood next time he's in Ontario. <laughs> that was that was what that was what David Foot, um, you know, he did Boom Bust Echo. He he predicted that that's where we would be right now. We would be a bird watching community. A bird watching community. Interesting. Wow. Um, Chris, I want to rewind here a little bit. Um, okay. You have lived many places, right? Started in Mississauga. You you taught overseas. I want to get into that for a little bit because, first of all. What was life like before you were selling real estate? Where were you living? I think people would be very interested in that. And then when you came to Collingwood, you came in not knowing anybody. It's not like you moved there because of family or anything like that. You came in not knowing anybody and built up a really big business really fast. So maybe start what was prior life like before kids in real estate and then the last however many years where you've built this thing up. Uh, before kids in real estate, we I lived overseas for seven years. I lived in Korea for three years, and during that time, my now wife lived in Mexico. 
Um, and then we kind of, uh, we're high school friends and we kind of uh, changed our relationship and moved to the next level when I was in Korea. And because of that, my wife got a, she was a, te- uh, um, a licensed teacher at the time, her master's in education. At that time, I was just teaching English in Korea. She got a job at um, one of the best schools in the world at, in Tokyo because it was the closest she could get to be at a good school. Um, so then I eventually moved there, got my master's education and I got a job at an international school. She was at the American school in Japan, um, which is world renowned. And then I worked at Tokyo international school. So we were both grade three teachers and we had our first son in Japan. And I was sort of, I kind of was always craving more. I mean, when you're a teacher, it's groundhog day, grade twos come in, grade fours leave at the end of the year. You have a great summer. You come back and you're like, man, I have grade twos again. I have to teach them. Times tables, I got to start again. Every year was just like, man, I'm doing the exact same thing. I don't know how many years I can do this without like. Right. So I kind of thought we would we would uh, own a, 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 a private school, and because I I just said to my wife like I can't classroom teach my whole life. I've been in the classroom for ten years. She had been in the classroom for more than ten years. So um, we moved back here with our four month old son in in July July first two thousand eight. And if you guys can remember back that long, I think story a was booming in high school. market, right? A booming story, market. Yeah. Story was in high school then. Um, well, in September uh, 2008, the world economy crashed, and we had left a bunch of money in Japan. Our uh, mortgage on our house here was in Japanese yen through Lloyd's of London in, so we huh. kept our bank account there, and our mortgage was being paid. It was pennies. It was so great. It was a one percent mortgage. Um, and then when the the currencies flipped they called and said, well, you have to correct your LTV and we'd like you to give us $40,000. And we're like, oh, well, we saved that money uh, so we could take a year off and just like have our son and figure out what we're going to do next with our life. Um, My wife wanted to get a teaching job, very hard in Ontario to get a teaching job if you have like amazing experience and a master's degree. Both of us have amazing experience, amazing references, master's degrees. They're like, well, get in line. There's no jobs for you guys. Hmm. Um, So world economy crashed. They basically... You know, our our house was, because of the currency flip, worth far less than our mortgage, our mortgage amount. So they kind of pressed us with that. We had no jobs. Um, I We couldn't get teaching jobs. I started tutoring to make money. And I was tutoring 17 hours a week for 50 bucks an hour to sort of support the family. But yeah, we were like borrowing money to pay our mortgage and get by. Um, so I decided I should move quickly. I was always curious about real estate. And I started taking the courses there. Like, it'll take about a year to do. I was like, there's no way <laughs> I can do this fast. Took the first two courses, then tried to sign up for the residential course. And I couldn't get in for nine months. And I would have had to go to like North Bay to take the course. So I took the commercial course first. Because back then when you got your license, you had to take three courses. And the last one was either commercial or residential. And after you two, your two years articling, you went back and took the commercial. Mm-hmm. So before I'd ever sold real estate, I took the commercial real estate course, which was incredibly difficult, never selling real estate and having to understand all the numbers and stuff. Um, And then so three months after starting my courses, I got my license and just dove into real estate in a town that I knew no one. And I had a baby and a pregnant wife and uh, no money. So did you ever have a moment that you're like, why did we leave the life we had? To come back and start from zero and things are challenging and the time of the world economy was not very good. Any like, oh shit, what do we do? Uh, every night for about two years. Okay. Every evening when the kids were in bed, we would go, we would look up the job fairs um, and 
you know, the first year we, we mainly did it at the end of like, once I had my license for a year and I hadn't really started selling real estate, I was still too afraid to do it because, you know, it's like dabbling in it. Cause I went, kept having to teach. Mm-hmm. So it took me a year before I really, so 2010, I started selling real estate, but it was around then when I was like, you know, we could just go to the job fair in March and in September of 2010, we could be each making a hundred grand a year internationally. Like we, we made, you know, such great money at teaching overseas, not compared to real estate, but you know, it was only 7% income tax. And we, after all of our expenses and traveling, everything we did, we put away 10 grand a month. So as a, as teachers to save 120 grand a year, is just not real. It is, they, you know, you could have two teacher salaries and after all their taxes, the combined amount is, is 120 grand a year right. of, of after tax dollars. Right. Um, so, um, we thought about it. Yeah. We were, we were like, yeah, we should just go to the job fair where we, and it, then it gets exciting. Right. Cause you're like, where would we go next? Our, all of our friends were like in Dubai and living in Spain and Barcelona and working at these amazing schools. And when you live international, when you're an international teacher, you have so much vacation. We were always like on a plane. We're in Australia. We're in India. We're in China. We're walking. They're like, we, we have four day week and we're like, let's go to great Wall of China. So it was that, that you can romance that life. So right. there was a lot. And I, I think it was my wife's choice. We would have gone, but she always wanted to stay home with the kids. Uh, and the opportunity was if I could build this business, then she could stay home. So we kind of just buckled down. And in 2010, we got traction and I, I sold like, I did like 11 ends in, in my first year of real estate and I made like 120 grand or something. Gross. I remember we were, I was, yeah. Oh. I was at, I think 131,000 crows, something like that. So, and I remember I was at century 21 and everyone was excited about oh, what, you know, what award. And I had won this Emerald award. My, you know, Sounds my, fancy. My, my good, my good buddy that, um, he was one award level lower than me. He's like, how did you make so much money? And I was like, I don't even know how much money I made. What do these awards mean? Because we were, we were so behind and so broke and this, and you know how, how I've done my business story. I'm heavy marketing. So I was pouring money into like the business I want to be versus the business that I am. Lots of people will be like, I, I won't spend the money until I make the money. I was like, I'm going to spend the money and get there. You know what so I mean? when you made 131, what did you spend like 70 grand that year? Like, was it, did you make any money at the end of it? Oh, we were deeply in debt after okay. that year. Interesting. Yeah, so I, we, I was still like, yeah, you know, lines of credit and credit cards. Like I remember I bought it, I had to buy a MacBook that year and I went to this uh, Georgian audio and they gave me like a Desjardins visa and that I could you sign up for this card then you can make payments every month, 50 bucks a month to buy this $2,000 MacBook. But I needed it. Like I needed to run my business and the MacBook I brought from teaching wasn't working. Um, so that, so in my first year of real estate, I like um, basically put a MacBook, uh, I, I bought a MacBook on a payment plan because <laughs> we had no money. My first and year you, of real estate, sorry. Going through that experience and now thinking to the success that you found in the last basically what decade of, of the growth of your, of your business, um, yeah. having that experience is you think that was a good experience to have looking back and going like, okay, I know what it's like to struggle and to flip my life upside down and move somewhere new where that no matter how bad the news headlines get or that we were told the market is like, I've, I've beaten worse than this. Like the, here's yeah. just another little opportunity I'm going to deal with. Yeah, it, it took me a while to have that perspective. I had to talk to a lot of sort of more veteran agents. And there was a couple of agents in my office that had got their license in like 2002. And they remembered, I don't know if your office do this, they do this thing called duty time. 
you sit in the office for like four hours on a Saturday. I always think of D-O-O-T-Y instead of D-U-T-Y, doing duty yeah, my, time. My, my mind went there too, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, that's after my coffee in the morning when I do duty time. <laughs> um, so so uh, we did, and they would say like, yeah, we would sit in the office. People would walk by the office. They'd tap on the window. We were at Century, I was at Century 21 at first, not Royal Page downtown. They'd walk in. They'd ask you to go show them a house, and they would buy the house that day. Crazy. So yeah, different world, agents, eh? These agents struggled for the first five years of my business. I, there was all these agents that were like, it's been so easy. Walk-ins. Uh, also, like, internet wasn't I mean, huge then in terms of, like, the MLS system and websites. Like, I was the only guy to have, like, a website and do videos when I started real estate up here. Um, so I kind of felt like, ah, oh, poor me. I got to work so hard. Like, I did my first five years was 12 month listings. Um, so I would say 50% of the offers never came together because we didn't get to get together like on price. Like it was like that right. last gap is 10, 10 grand. They're like, why don't you throw in your commission? I'm like, well, my commission is only seven grand, buddy. I can't throw it in. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to make the deal come together. Cause my, you know, my average sale price when I started was like three fifty up here, maybe 300. Um, so, uh, so as I got through that, I realized, man, like, I'm glad that I had the grit and resilience and the hustle to go do that. And then even more so now, like I really felt at the beginning of this year when everyone was like, Oh my goodness, what are we going to do? I was like, I know I, I sat down with my team. I was like, I know exactly how to do this guys. We're, we're just going to be doing real estate differently, mm. right? We're not going to be, it's not like, Oh my goodness, how do we do this? Well, it's, instead of writing a bunch of offers and you're in multiples and you miss it, you're going to be writing offers. You're going to be being patient with sellers. You're, you know, a seller says, I, I think it's worth 20% more than market value. You're like, you know what? I've told you all I can tell you. You don't think I'm the market expert. That's fine. Let's list your property and let the market tell you. Right. The market will tell us by, you know, there's, we all know there's a sliding scale, like no showings at all. You're like 15% off, like you're way off. Couple showings, no feedback. Then there's like a few more showings, but no offers. Then you, you get closer to buyer perception of value. Then you're like, maybe you get a shitty offer, right? And you get a few showings and then you get to like, we got one or two good offers. It's just, it's right. a scale. So I just learned to let the market tell them and to talk about price reductions, to give seller updates, you know, regularly, here's what I'm doing. Here's the online traction. Here's people on my website. Here's what's happening on social media, um, which I resisted at first. My, my web person was like, you got to get on Facebook. I was like, no way. That's just for fun. You never you can't, see, no one wants to see my business stuff on social media. Who would want to see business on social media? Uh, turns out I was wrong. Um, <laughs> Uh, and then I, I, I spiked that pretty quickly to get my numbers up. I gave away, I remember giving away a couple iPads for the first 500 and then the second 500. So I was like, this is worth 2000 bucks to make sure that I have at least a thousand followers. Oh. Cause I would see all these, I would see all these agents that were like, we have 46 followers. I'm like, that is awful. Like if I have to go to a listing presentation and say like, well, I have 46 people follow me. It's not gonna look good. Um, so I, I remember spiking that, but, uh, yeah, I, I feel like. I knew exactly what to do when all this happened. I told my team, we're going to do all the things we didn't have time to do before. We're too busy to do. And we're going to dig in and we're going to make more calls. We're going to go on more appointments. We're going to take people to lunch. We're going to do all this stuff yeah. to like make sure you're out in the community. We're going to host our events again. We did our movie morning fall festival because we didn't do it in the pandemic. And it was like, this is just different. It's the same thing. You're going to get up in the morning. You're going to do different tasks today, but you're still going to be selling real estate. You know, yeah. We had our, our, our second best year ever in 2022. Amazing. And when do you think the moment happened that it went from, okay, we're just getting by here. We're surviving. We're paying off our debts. 
I'm making some money, but I'm spending most of it as well to the click where like, listen, legitimately, like you're probably the biggest team in your area. You're, yeah. you said you're a, you're a big real estate team. You guys have all the listings up there. You've, you've grown massive market share. Like when did you even realize that was a thing that was possible? Like did it just naturally happen or this was the plan. I think it's so. First of all, when I got in this business, I looked at there's a couple Doug Gillis, Ian Hawkins. Um, I think they were the two big guys at the time, and I was like, well, if I'm going to do this, I got to be number one. I'm not just going to be another one of the agents up here. I'm going to be the mm -hmm. best. So that's sort of you know Tom Allen mindset is like I'm going to go do it if I'm not half-assing this. I didn't know what it looked like though. I didn't know it was a team. Um, I did as best I could in my first four years um, on my own, um, and you know sold however many 45 homes in my last year alone. But when you're selling 45 homes, you know, there's so many showings and listings and I, I had an assistant and I was like, man, I'm just like, I, I started having people like leave me messages. Like we've picked another agent because you're too busy for us. This episode of the Tom Story Show is brought to you by Carish Real Properties. That's right. My co-host Steve runs an amazing real estate team in the Fraser Valley. If you're someone looking to get more insight of what's going on in the Fraser Valley real estate market, I would highly recommend reaching out to Steve and his team. They're going to tell you what you actually need to hear and they're going to exceed your expectations all the way throughout the transaction. I've met Steve and his entire team in person and they're all people that are really, really passionate about what they do. And a lot of their business comes from repeat and referrals, so it's no surprise that they've continued to be in the top 1% of the Fraser Valley Real Estate Board for many, many years. They service Cloverdale, the Fraser Valley, and Surrey, and they know what they are doing. But don't just take my word for it, they have over 95-star Google reviews online. If you're looking for good advice that's not salesy with real people delivering really great results, I would highly recommend reaching out to Steve and his team. You can find them online at krproperties.ca or in the show notes, you can go in there and you can book a call directly with Steve or someone on his team at a time that works best for you. If you're looking to buy, sell, or invest in the Fraser Valley, Cloverdale, or Surrey, I highly recommend Karish Real Properties. And now, back to the show. This is what we've done because you didn't get back to me on time. Um, so I started feeling like I want out of this. My strengths are with people and with leadership and with coaching and training and I said, I could teach people to do this, so I'll just buy into my brokerage. Um, yeah. And then my broker owner wasn't ready for a partner at that time, and we probably weren't a good fit as partners anyhow. Um, but he said, why don't you start a team and, and make Chairman's Club? He right. said, they call us all the time with referrals, but we don't have referrals, so we give them to Ian Hawkins. He's our number one guy. Um, so I was like, oh, a team. Um, what year so was this? What year did the team start? 2015. Okay. Uh, I think it was like... Might have been like December first, twenty fourteen, because you know our, our awards year starts a, a bit off. And when you thought about creating the team, because the the structure right now, and correct me if I'm wrong here, is that you are still actively involved in everything, but you're not showing all the properties or doing everything. Like you've you've kind of taken a step back as being a true business owner, just not not just like an operator. Was that from yeah. day one of the team, or was that a transition over time here? That that was organic. I knew that right out of the gate, I wanted to be there to help buyer clients, but not show the homes. Okay. So, so I started kind of organically without planning it because I'm I'm kind of a jump out of the airplane, ask for the parachute later kind of guy. Um, I just figure I've solved bigger problems. Steve has three parachutes thing. in his backpack. <laughs> yeah. Right, and you know my wife is like, meet the pilot, check the plane, 
you know, check your parachute a hundred times. I'm like, we'll yeah. just figure it out on the way down. Um, so I got two really great people to join my team right away that are still with the team. Um, uh, two like, you know, high performing agents in the office that, you know, one of them just really wants people to work with and have that feeling because real estate can be lonely, right? You're, mm-hmm. you're just on your own. Um, and the other one was just like, I don't want to ever open social media or build a website. So she's like, if you ever start a team, you know, I'm in. So I got those two big guns and myself right away. And I just kind of started just because people are kind of afraid to let other agents work with their clients and friends because they might steal them. And I was like, I was so burnt out because this business can completely like suffocate you and take your life like clients call you at 9 p.m. on Friday and everyone wants to be the most important person to you. Um, so I just sort of organically without having a plan realized I want to teach these people to give the buyer service that I have and the listing service that I have with my brand and my marketing, my excitement, my energy, my network, but more people to help me do it. Um, and I just had this, I don't know, innate feeling of like, I can scale this out and make, cause what was happening is people were upset. They weren't getting the level of service from me that they ex- expected. But not you necessarily, but the service no, no, level. Before, before oh, okay. when I didn't have other people, right. I just had to not have enough time. I couldn't do myself. So I was, I was starting to let clients down when I was on my own. But then when you know, Leanne Matthews would show up, they might be surprised. Oh, Leanne showed up to show me those homes. And then, like, then, we, then we, like her, we like her way more than Chris. This is great. Yeah. And then you get the playful text. They're like, thanks for sending us Leanne. She's way better than you. <laughs> but it, we, I had to have that culture. Right. I right. knew from the beginning, if they, I have to be replaceable, they, if they're getting the same service, the same communication, the same care, the same like people, not paperwork belief that we have, um, that, and, and it's, it's, you know, money's a byproduct of hard work. We're not commissioned breath. We're not chasing deals. People can feel that, right? If you're mm-hmm. just there for the people and that's what I wanted to build. And they were all on board for that. They're, we're not salesy. We're not pressuring you. And, you know, we have this sort of reverse, uh, reverse buyer situation that we do up here. I don't know how you guys work with buyers or your teams do, but you know, I was, what, is that, what does reverse put, buyer mean? What do you mean by that? So instead of, um, getting a buyer and trying to find them a house, it, we do education first because we have so many different ages. So we get to educate them about our region. Then they educate us during that process about themselves. Cause people be like, I must have a bathtub. And then you show them homes. You're like, you don't care about a bathtub. Right. You know, I must have a South facing lot. I'm like, you don't even care about that. So we can kind of figure our clients out. So what our process is with buyers is I'm not going to find you your house. I'm going to teach you about real estate and show you real estate until we narrow down what you want. Now I know you need four bedrooms. Now I know a garage is a must. Now I know these neighborhoods don't work for you. Now I know these price points don't work for you. So then we're down. We're like, okay, so you need a $600,000 home in Georgia Meadows or Creekside. Now I know what you want. So when a four bedroom comes up in that, I'll show it to you because I'm not going to show you any more three bedrooms. I'm not going to show you anything, you know, downtown because you don't want to be there. Your kids or or the school matters. You want your kids to go to Advil. So we reverse the process to narrow down. This is the house they want instead of let's go try to find. Do you like this one? Do you like this one? Do you like that house? What do you think of this house? Right. We're taking notes and figuring out. And then we kind of in the nicest way possible, tell them what they want. Right. (laughs) I think Steve was the first one that kind of taught me. I remember Steve, we we would talk years ago and Steve was like, yeah, my buyer consultation is like two hours. And I'm like, what? Yeah. Like, what? What do you mean two hours? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Are you showing them like a movie? Like what's going on here? But he was like, I don't know, Steve, you can talk better about this than me. Like you were the first one that really got me to drill in on like that initial consultation. We're going to go over all education. We ain't seeing no houses and you're going to learn everything. So you're still doing that, Steve? 
Yeah, it's a uh, it's a lot usually uh, not a lot faster. It's a faster process now. Um, but I remember the first time I was at uh, on stage at a Richard Robbins thing, and he asked me about that. So tell me about your presentation and how long. One of the questions was how long does it take? And as soon as I said two hours, the whole audience just shut down. They were like, <laughs> "I'm not doing two hours. Like get out of here." But I was like, "Listen, as soon as you do a two hour buyer consult with someone." First of all, you've taken the time to build the rapport, which is massive in our business, right? The client has yeah. to trust you and know that they're not just getting, uh, you know, jammed into a property. Yeah. The, the second part to that is every question you ask before you go see a property is a better use of your time and your client's time. So if yeah. you're not asking about, for instance, how many cars do you have? How many parking do you have? Do you want to park them inside? Do you want to park them outside? Like when, until you have those questions Criteria. answered by a client yeah. and then like you had mentioned, then actually take them out and find out that everything they told you is wrong. But <laughs> what, once you do that, now you have a starting point and where a lot of agents lose their, I was going to say shirt, but probably mind is this is the 15th home I've shown you. And this doesn't work. Like generally speaking on my team, uh, Eric and, and Chonani on my team, if we take more than three buyer trips with a single client and that's three houses per trip, uh, if, if you see your 10th or 11th house, you're probably more confused than when you started. Yeah, totally. Because I haven't done my job of nailing that down. So it sounds like a very similar process of like, okay, we really got to get micro on what you're looking for and stop worrying about what the market's doing and find out does this house fit your needs and i don't think a lot most agents what do they do hey chris you meet you at the house? let's go yeah let's yeah. let's go see it you wanted to see that one cool and they and they they want to just get out and see the homes because it feels like you're working so just like story said you have three parachutes so i was doing the same thing you do but my hour even to this day our buyer consultations happen at the first house you meet the buyers at you got an online lead, you mm. call them, whatever. And then the buyer, so plan to have a one hour showing with a client. We'll sit in the house that I showed them and we'll talk and we know the questions to ask. And honestly, if I were to sit down with someone for two hours, I'd take all these notes and I'd be like, they don't even know. They don't know. And even more, and maybe more so in a, in a primary resident market. But when you're buying a weekend, people drive up airport row or the 400 and they have all these like dreamy visions of what it's going to be like up here. And they're like, no subdivisions. I will never live in one. I'm moving from Oakville. And then they come up and what we find is people don't buy a comparable type home up here. They buy on alternatives. So people will buy the, what else can they get for their money? So they might be thinking, oh, I want a chalet with privacy. It's going to be so great. And I'll be like, oh, do you have kids? Well, they're going to have to go to school. And they're going to be playing sports. You're going to be driving back and forth into Collingwood. So maybe you should drive back and forth to the ski hill um, and have your time. And you're going to get be in a, in a residential area where they'll have friends to play with. You won't have to be playdates every day. They'll walk to school. So as I got better at it, I could narrow that down because they have all these visions of grandeur of what they're going to get up here. And then I show them. And sometimes they're like, you know what? I don't want an old century home downtown Collingwood. I'd like to be in a subdivision where... I'm getting more house for my money. I'm getting a bigger lot or I'm getting a double car garage. I don't need to do renovations. It was built six years ago. So it, when they say there's no chance I'm getting a subdivision, I'm like, let's book them into a subdivision home just so they can go in and go like, wow, I can get this for 800 grand. I can get this. This is mm. crazy. 
It's a granite countertop, no renovations needed, finished basement. Um, so sometimes I just kind of like override them being like, I'll be the real estate expert here. I'll show you the homes. I'll show you a variety of homes that I always, we always tell them, I'm going to show you five homes today. They're all going to be very different. Just so you know, you're not going to find your house today, okay. right? You're not going right. to find your house today. We're looking at homes. We're learning about you. That's my buyer consultation. And that's the sort of process we do with the team. And there's also a little bit, what I realized kind of disarms them because they're worried like there's a salesy real estate guy. And then we're like, you're not finding a house today. They're like, what? Right. They're going to try to sell real you're not. You're not in a rush, are you? That that will yeah. disarm anybody. It's like, what? Uh, yeah. no, of course we're not in a rush. It's yeah. like, yeah, I didn't think I, so. Yeah, I was like, it's a good thing you guys aren't in a rush and this isn't a desperate thing for you. And they're like, oh, he knows. Like, yeah. yeah, this is all they want to hear is that, right? So, um, so yeah, that's the whole reverse uh, buyer thing. And just to dial back, you had asked Tom, like, when did I realize that I was successful and profitable? I kind of, first of all, I'm terrible with money. So that's an issue for me. Um, I always think it's endless, so I'll just keep spending it. I'm not very cautious. Um, but a couple things. So first of all, I started making a ton of money, but I wasn't enjoying my life. So I hated that. I'm like, yeah, look how much money I have. That's great. Um, and then that, I started the team and I started making less money because I was giving business to the agents on my team. And my splits at the beginning were not good for running a business. Right. Because um, I wanted to be attractive for agents to come on my team. And my, my, my you know, Wendy and Leanne will all to this day will joke, oh, the good old days. Um, when they were making more money than I was making. Did you have to have a tough conversation with the team at some point saying, hey guys, for us to be, to to survive, we need to change the splits here. Was that, that must've been a tough conversation. I thought it was going to be tough, but I realized just how much money they were making. And I, and I showed them, you guys are making more money than me, than me. And I'm paying all the bills. Right. Yeah. So we have to skew this, you know, as an example, it was 50, 50 on a listing. So I was like, okay, so it's 50 for the team. And I've, I've, from the start, and this is a Christopher Nvidia thing that I learned before I even started the team way back in the day, um, that there's there's no split with me. There's a right. split with the team. With I the only team. make money if there's money left, yep. right? So mm-hmm. I go 50 team, 50 agent, and I go, so out of your 50%, you have zero expenses. I'm going to pay the employees. I'm going to pay the marketing. I'm going to pay for the photography. I'm going to pay for the signs. I'm paying for your business cards. Um, so now it actually turns out that you know, it's 30% to the team, 20% to the expenses and 50% to the agent. Right. So I was like, we just, we just can't do it. So we skewed it to a 60, 40, right. Where 60 team, right. Of the 60 team, 20 goes to expenses. So 40 team, 40 agent. So I was there like that. That sounds fine. Um, and then I, and I, I over the years have made a, a better and better, uh, you know, buyer side of things and stuff. Um, and even, even like if there's like a really, really super amazing listing, that's a super close friend of mine, it might be a 70, 30 on the listing. And they're like, fine. They're like, right. I get 30, I have no expenses and I'm going to get five buyers off this listing. Yep. Um, and then we give, we skew it heavier for the buyer side. So they get more of the buyer side because they got to meet the client. They got to do the buyer consult. They got to build trust. They got to do a lot of work with all these new leads. Um, so, so, and then it'll be different if like the lead comes directly from me or whatever. So we, we've skewed that, but it was a different conversation, but interesting enough. And you know, these people's story, you know, I went up to, uh, Matt Regan's cottage mm-hmm. and he invited Mark Ferris, yep, Mike, Mike Heddle, Sean Ziegelstein and me. So the, 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 the legends of real estate, it's the, <laughs> yeah. And you know, I, I just made chairman. I'm like, Oh my goodness. Like I think Regan's number four. And how did I get one. in this room? Basically. I have those I thoughts was, all the time. <laughs> I was, I was number 144 and I'm like, what the hell? But I think they saw I was running my business. So they, you know, Regan was, you know, we met in Italy at the chairman's club thing. And he's like, this guy, um, you know, should make this happen. Uh, anyway. So, and they, when, when I told them my splits, they said, um, uh, we want to come work for you. 
<laughs> you you're, would make way more money if we worked for you. Um, so uh, so that I think that was pretty cool, and it made me realize, shit, I need to I need to fix these splits. What's the um, how many team members now? So there's a few administrators, and, and how many team members are there? How, like salespeople? Uh, we have um, five agents and myself, mm-hmm. and then we have six admins. So it's like six agents, six admin, and then we have Wendy who has been with us from the beginning who just, she had to give up her real estate license because of tax purposes because her husband has a job in the States, but she wanted to remain a part of the team. So she's kind of like a coach. Right. So the agents can call Wendy when they have a tough deal or they're working through, um, you know, uh, schedule A and what clauses to put in or, or, or a tough client. If I'm not available, they can, they can call Wendy because Wendy's an absolute gem. She, we, we call, we have a picture of her on our wall, her head photoshopped onto uh, Emma Thurman, Uma Thurman from Kill Bill, the yellow mm-hmm. suit. Yeah, yeah. Um, because she's just she's just the best. Um, so yeah, we're we're thirteen people now. Wendy's the coach, uh, six agents, six admin, uh, and that's I'm always heavy admin. You know, it's interesting. A lot of people I've talked to recently have said the same thing, where their agent and admin almost adds up the same. Uh, we interviewed Kaylee on the podcast last week, and her admin team was actually bigger than her agent team. Do you think that's just the direction here, the industry is going? I, I mean, that's, I started from the beginning. I, I, I've, you know, screamed from the mountaintop. I think it should be that way. I think that they make you make more money. They make you sell more homes. You know, you got to leverage yourself. You got to, you know, I'm big on the unique ability stuff. You know, Frank Sinatra does not move pianos. He doesn't sell tickets. He doesn't usher people in. He plays piano. He sings like do what you're good at and, mm. and outsource and, and pay someone else to do it. And people are always worried, well, I don't want to pay a salary 40, 50, 60 grand. I'm like, you don't have to pay 60 grand today. You have to be two weeks and see how this goes. And in the first two weeks, you have someone doing this for you. You'll be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe, you know, and agents are doing their own social media, their own paperwork, their own, you know, staging, their own photography, you know, editing their own videos. And then just like, you should be going and doing what you're best at, figure out what you're best at and, and go do that. Right. But they're afraid because it's going to cost them because you've got to pay first. Right. Yep. But once you, once you leverage that and you realize, oh my goodness, I just bought back 30 hours a week to do the amazing things that have built this business, it's worth it, right? So you don't look at profitability, right? Now, I got a real burning question for you. Now, we've already discussed that you are undercover old, right? Because you look young. You got you got a cool haircut. You wear cool t-shirts. You drive a Jeep. You got a sleeve tattoo. You're, you're a cool dad other than your <laughs> wallet, your phone wallet. If anyone's watching on YouTube, can you show them? <laughs> my prayer book what is going on here that is like an ipad uh in your pocket just the biggest thing i've ever seen even steve, me and steve have the small wallets every time i see chris and make fun of him about this it's just ultimate I, I, dad I, mode you take it out you get your glasses on and you just <laughs> listen you gotta you gotta fucking lean into it at some point at some point you're like i'm not a kid anymore i'm leaning into this just yeah that's that's the ultimate like dad mode and when when one of my friends found out that we were having a kid. He sent me a, a really clean white pair of New Balances, and I just have them in my. Cl- I haven't worn them yet, but I'm. Yeah, I'm dude, I, 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 before, before this, I had my my phone on a little a clip on my belt. That's even worse. Oh my god. Thanks, brother. <laughs> um, we got a few more minutes here, Chris. Like, thanks again for being here. This has been a lot of fun. Um, Steve, you got any burning questions to wrap up with, Chris? No, I really appreciate this. It was nice meeting you on here for sure. And uh, uh, yeah, I, I got I got nothing. I've just been listening. I've been, been enjoying this quite a bit. Because um, um, yeah, normally I make fun go... of Steve, but 
I got you here today so I can at least what, share what, what it was your, what, was your, what was your lead up? You were like flirting with me about uh, being hip and stuff. You just wanted to tell people about my, my, my cell phone. Yeah, I was just trying to build you up to then give you the shot at the end, right? Yeah. Did you want to go into any, any more about uh, sort of the, the, the team and, and the why I built it the way that I built it in a little bit of a different way? Yeah, sure. I think we got at least another. Steve, you got five more minutes at least. I got, I, I got five, and then I got a heart out because I have to learn about the buyer rescission period in BC. I've got a webinar to attend. Crazy. Fun. So yeah, like let's talk through the last few minutes here on team structure. What do people need to know if they're trying to build something? Well, I think first thing that I realized is that you're not going to try to build what someone else built. Uh, okay. You have to build what's going to work for you. Like if you love showing homes, go show homes. If you love the listing presentation, keep doing it. Everyone's trying to figure out what someone else did and do that. And I kind of organically figured out. And I think really lucky having Leanne Matthews on my team because she really values her time and I was suffocated for time. So the first thing we did when we made our team agreements is we put in that it's time first. You must plan a vacation. You must have something to look forward to. Because as a teacher, there was always, you never went more than like eight or 12 weeks before having another vacation and going away, right? So I suddenly had nothing to look forward to. And when you're so busy, you're like, oh, when I have a break, I'll go on vacation. But then you mm. never get a break. Mm -hmm. um, and usually you do your best work the week before you go on vacation, which is so good for your business. So it's always great to have a vacation. Everyone's like, I'm so busy when I'm on vacation. We're like that's because you did your entire task list before you left. Um, and I always tell my team every day should be the day before you leave for vacation. That's your yeah, most that's the mindset to be day, in. Yeah. Right. So try to stay in that mindset. Um, so Leanne really valued time. So we put in our it, right in the agreements, like how many open houses you're going to do, how many weekends you want to work, how many weekends you want off, how many weeks you want off, how much money you want to make. Um, and then I just built a system to, to value their time and all, and be interchangeable. That's why I want everyone to be able to do everyone else's job and be there because you got to be able to take two weeks off and not sweat it. Your, your sellers are going to be taken care of. Your buyers are going to be taken care of. We're not worried about the splits between the team or who makes what, right. because money's a byproduct of hard work. We're all going to make our goals. Um, so it was helpful to me to put time first in building it. And then just, I think innately culture was important to me. Like I, I would say to them, like, I don't want any conversations like whispers, like talk to me. There's going to be problems. We got to talk. We got to make sure it's fun. I want everyone excited to come to the office and not, you know, dreading it. Talk to me about splits if you want to. Um, just let's put it all in on the table. So it was that like open culture of it better be fun to come here. Um, otherwise I'm going to be stressed because I feel responsible for all of your feelings, right? And, and your money and stuff like that. So um, that's why it was easy for me to, give the clients away without feeling like they're going to steal my clients or what happens if they know my database. I was just open from the very beginning, which then built trust, which then the core started, uh, you know, coming together on that. Um, and that's just how my team evolved. So I think if I could go back, I would have loved to have planned this going in. I think everyone should figure out what do you want? Like, where do you see yourself working in the business? Like what's going to be your day to day that would make you happy. Yeah. Um, but also I think another thing I would do, man, is I would track everything. I did not, my database is not up to speed. There's missing information, you know, spreadsheets are missing things. I want to, I would track every penny, every client, every gift I gave, every like, and I just, my stuff's a mess on that. But uh, that's sort of why I went to the me as the leader and coach and guide marketing expert, uh, you know, all the relationships with the, the clients and stuff, but not having to be hands-on for everything. I just knew I wanted that because I know what I love doing. Yeah. And you know, that's why we have these big events and you know, we do all the social stuff and we're in the community and we have the community partners. We bring businesses together that promote each other and do events together and stuff like that. So to have like 750 people in my fall festival 
and like all that stuff was given from, from community members to give the beer, the food. And even when we had to pay for stuff like bouncy castles, you know, we have an insurance company, you know, give us a thousand bucks to pay right. for the bouncy castles. You know, we have someone pay for the band. We have someone pay for the DJ um, because they get to have their brand above it. Like, you know, someone that's in financial management or has other things. So yeah, you've done a really it, good job with those uh, B2B partnerships in your community. I, I never wanted to be like, because I felt you guys must get this. Hey, can you give me $2,000 for this event? We'll put your name on a poster. And I'm like, but can I add value to your event? Can I right. do something for you? Can we? Can I be there with a tent? Can I bring something? Can I bring like a photo booth and everyone takes pictures? Can I do something? I wanted to create partnerships. So when I was asking people for money for our events, I wanted to be like, no, this is going to be a, a partnership where I'm going to promote your business all year. I'm going to give gift cards to Northwinds. I'm going to you know, promote your business. Um, that was just me being kind of sensitive to saying, can I have some money for my fall festival to give beer away? Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. It was me being bashful and it turned out to be a pretty good thing, right? Um, okay. I think Steve has to go learn about the cooling off period in BC, which just sounds thrilling. I'm sure he can't wait to go into this fun little webinar here. Um, Chris, thank you for being here. This is one of those episodes where like, I know I'm going to want to listen back before we release it because when I'm here, I'm listening obviously, but I'm thinking about the next question as well. You said a lot and I want to kind of see exactly. So thank you for being here. This was great. You've been an awesome guest for anyone uh, listening or watching that wants to find out more about you and your team. Where's the best place for them to go? I think kelleherco.ca is our website and Instagram, Kelleherco Real Estate. Uh, my, and my personal Instagram is kelleherofficial. Um, those are probably the best ways to, to find us. Um, and, uh, you know, check us out online and maybe even drop a little Google review. And if they come to their, your movie events, you will dress up as Buzz Lightyear again? Well, whatever the movie is next year, there will be a costume. I like the costume theme and uh, we'll, we'll do another theme like that. I'll be dressed as something uh, hysterical to scare the kids because no one wanted a picture with Buzz. They wanted to get point. But... <laughs> The parents would drag him over and I'd be like, don't force them into this picture with me. They're afraid. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Thank you, everyone, uh, for, for watching on YouTube or listening on the audio sides. We will be back next Sunday with a brand new episode for you. Have an amazing day, and we'll see you in a week. Bye. All right. Bye. Appreciate it, guys.